0: Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire, And I'm Robert Bucciolato. Robert, in our last episode, we talked about your great new book about presidential vacations in Florida and in general about the presidency in Florida and presidential holidays in Florida. Well, similarly, Florida was the nation's playground for the leading industrialists and the richest men and the most famous men. It's an era when, quite frankly... American ingenuity, American corporate barons, American industrialists were more prominent in this country than the politicians themselves, than the presidents themselves. Thomas Edison saw a property in 1885 in Lee County, Florida, Fort Myers, that he then bought in 1886 and built a winter home there and spent the rest of his years every winter in southwest Florida.
1: Yeah, and um, you know we we had mentioned um, my new book on presidential vacations and um, last week and That's, there's yeah. actually a, a, a photo of these two men together with um, I believe it was President Hoover um, taken in South Florida and what is what is so amazing is is that um, we we sort of think of Edison. As this great inventor of the light bulb in the 1800s and you know we think of uh, Henry Ford in the early 1900s you know making the Model T and everything like that but we kind of forget that they lived on in the 20th century and that they continued to develop and to sort of germinate all their different projects and uh, in the case of The actual houses, you know, they're they're right next to each other. You cross the street, um, you enter uh, Edison's museum, which is you know basically the bulk of you know the whole entire structure. And then you take um, one you know little cross the street, and you're at Ford's. And what is so amazing is it it showcases the different complexities and dynamics of these two historic towering inventors. In the case of Edison, you know, you have these magnificent tall trees and and groves and all this wonderful earthy um, elements. When you go to Ford, everything is very stale, very clean lines. Everything is, you know, just meticulously manicured. You go back to Edison and you go through where his shops were, his factories, and you just see this man who, you know, basically just packed up all of the different aspects of his creativity and moved cross country and just plopped it there each season. And you just see over in Ford a man who quite casually just put on a business suit put his briefcase together, and flew or drove or took a train to Florida and relaxed. So you have uh, this very cool, calculated, casual, breezy mentality of Ford, and then you have this chaotic, always moving, always energetic, always... of of Edison. And um, it's it's really interesting because you're able to get a real sense of not only who they were and what they did, but their friendship and the fact that even though they were so different, they just really melded and meshed with one another.
0: So yeah, Robert, Henry Ford moves to the adjoining plot in Fort Myers, right next to Edison's home, in 1916 and begins spending his winters also in southwest Florida. That was actually, Robert, right in the middle of World War I when Ford moved to Fort Myers. And at that point, Edison starts doing more in terms of experimentation in Fort Myers. There are advantages to the climate in Florida. I, I suppose disadvantages to the climate also. But advantages to the climate in terms of experimentation that maybe you don't have in Menlo Park, New Jersey. So Edison does a lot with experimentation, including with rubber, trying to wean the U.S. off its dependency on foreign rubber supplies, which had been exposed so badly in World War One. Harvey Firestone, he enlists in this, uh, in, in this project. So Ford begins, excuse me, Edison begins to make Fort Myers kind of a menlo park of the south and and does more and more science and experimentation down here in florida
1: yeah and it's um it's fascinating because you can see um in in ford's house it is very much the sort of um stereotypical home of a you know, a, a captain of industry. I mean, you really get the sense that, you know, he might dabble in some things. He, he would keep track of his empire, obviously, clearly. But, you know, he was really there to be Edison's friend and just to sort of see what, you know, what Ed Thomas was doing every single day. And then over at Edison's, I mean, it was like, uh, a Frank Lloyd Wright factory. Um, you know, it, all of these people that were there, that were living there working, um, disciples of Edison. And you go into these different rooms and you see all of these tools and you see all of these projects. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of things and what it basically was was he was just coming up with ideas every single day he could never stop his mind never turn it off and he would assign people to work on these different things so it's really just very fascinating to see uh, just the space of one road (laughs) you have um, this man who basically just kind of comes there on his own with his family there to hang out there to have fun see his friend and then you have a sort of a beehive of the Edison industries there you know they're working on motion pictures they're working on different ways to sort of strengthen and um make light bulbs more um long-lasting just a whole wealth of different things that he's working on and you see all the his little trinkets all over the place and it's um it's a really wonderful place
0: 21 or sometime in the 1920s along with harvey firestone as i mentioned earlier he creates the edison botanical research corporation which uses the uh gardens that you can now see at the Edison and Ford mansions or estates to do this really important research about rubber and other things that can be beneficial for consumers and and, and for the United States right and and rubber is a frequent conversation during wars and we know in World War II the Japanese were at least used the, the need for rubber and petroleum and oil to, to justify their conquests of the Dutch East Indies and the Malaya, right, uh, from the British. So, but it, it was a real issue and a real concern for the United States after World War One, during and after World War One. What, where, how are we going to handle this in the future? And as we know, uh, the, the U.S. developed a military-industrial complex eventually, which, uh, it did not have in the 1920s and 1930s – in fact, we know uh, Henry Ford was was uh, actually one of the leaders, uh, maybe because of his conservative political leanings, of uh, anti-war, anti-interventionist uh, type ideology, which was very, very strong in the 1920s and 1930s in the United States. And But uh, that is, is a big part of the story, though, is that the U.S. knowing that they're going to have to fight another war – Edison is on the forefront to try and help the U.S. not be as dependent on foreign resources the next time they're caught in a major international conflict. Now, Robert, an interesting thing for me, and I know you had the same experience growing up in South Florida, because a frequent field trip in school would be to the Edison home, at least when I was in school. The Ford... Home was acquired later as and, and added to the property and now I think school children in, in Lee Collier Charlotte Dave Broward Palm Beach probably make field trips to both but uh, the gardens were always kind of a big part also of those field trips and I uh, I, I can count the number of times I mean I, I, or I should say the opposite I, I probably lost count of the number of times that I actually had a field trip that took us to the Edison home when I was in, in, uh, in school, I want to say we went at least three times, maybe in, in fifth grade or sixth grade again, in eighth. And I want to say we made one trip in high school there in, in, Broward County public schools. And, um, you know, it, it, what's so
1: interesting is the fact that, um, you know, so much of our history as a country seems to be sort of, um, catalogued by our various presidents and and eras and things of that nature. But um, you go to the Edison Museum, and the first thing that you see that catches your eyes are all of these different presidents um, from, you know, 1880 onward that make these pilgrimages to see these two great men that, um, you know, weren't term-limited they were always
0: here. Yeah, right. It
1: was a, a big part of the country. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really just creative, you know, like I said, creative titans of their time. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I sh- Certainly, being a president is very important and is, you know, you're clothed with immense power. But I don't know if you can be quite comparable to a man that invented the light bulb and, you know, brought light to society.
0: And in the case of Henry Ford invented the Model T, this was the era, Robert, as we talked about earlier, where the industrialists, the bankers, the, uh, the tycoons were more powerful, more famous, and more known and more feared in American society, then the politicians, then the Speaker of the House, then the President, then the Governor of your respective states. I think maybe that's why, looking back on that era, Teddy Roosevelt is so fondly remembered when compared to other elected officials, both Democratic and Republican of that era. The the, the likes of 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 Grover Cleveland, suburban Democrat William McKinley, and his his great uh, benefactor uh, Mark Hanna, Senator from Ohio they were effectively the custodians of the Gilded Age, right? (laughs) They didn't do anything to break up trusts or to take on these guys. And Roosevelt did, and I think therefore is so much more fondly remembered than other uh, elected officials of that era, rightly or wrongly. Uh, Whatever the case, he is better remembered for that reason. And, you know, just, just to sort of add on what you're saying, um... Just to give our wonderful listeners um, an
1: example, Uh, one of, it was probably the the most powerful man on earth at the time, J.P. Morgan, gets wind that Teddy Roosevelt is getting ready to try and break up his uh, um, shipping and you know, real um, railroad monopoly, and he says to Roosevelt, he says, you know, why don't you just have your man, meaning the attorney general, <laughs> and, my man, mean, and my man, meaning his personal attorney, sit down and iron out the details. I mean, that just that just gives you an idea of um, just how beyond these people were in terms. of of their
0: resources and their own views of themselves on the, the
1: general landscape of the country at the time.
0: Yeah, these days, Robert, we talk a lot about the current war, which was something that I don't know was quite recognized at the time, but you had Westinghouse and Edison squaring off. Westinghouse had become a benefactor of Nikola Tesla, who was not recognized at all at the time. And I think that's a probably more of an indictment of American society and and racism towards Eastern Europeans, et cetera, than anything else. We can get into that uh, more if you want to in a little bit. But uh, you had these titans facing off against each other and Edison Electric eventually becomes General Electric and Westinghouse, and by the way, I live in a town in Coral Springs that was originally a corporate town uh, created by Westinghouse in the 1960s here in Broward County. A, a, a corporate town with uh, Westinghouse effectively owning the town, right, controlling the town and Westinghouse uh, factory in or in, uh, Westinghouse, uh, a facility in the western part of Coral Springs. Right now, what's the corporate park of Coral Springs used to be Westinghouse when I was a kid and uh, planned community around it. But Westinghouse and Edison Electric square off in a, a, a massive battle. So it was an era of great industrialists, right? Westinghouse and Edison, we mentioned. uh, uh, J.P. Morgan, who you mentioned. uh, uh, Mellon, Vanderbilt, Cornelius Vanderbilt. Obviously, Henry Ford also. I, I think what ends up happening is Ford is the genius. He invents the Model T. He invents the everybody car. He redefines the auto industry. But he was a deeply conservative man. He was a... Quite frankly, an anti-Semite, uh, a racist, a, a guy that was conservative, so didn't innovate. You had Alfred P. Sloan take over General Motors around that time, which was a rival of Ford's, and only, and had bought up a, a number of independent car companies, Wake, Chevrolet, uh, Oldsmobile, etc. And Sloan transforms GM into the Great American Company, the Great American Car Company. In this, in the period after. The, the Roaring 20s, where Ford and the Model T were at. I mean, the transition began toward the end of the 20s where GM's getting stronger. Alfred P. Sloan decides tactically to play ball with FDR and the New Deal and to make General Motors a partner. Seeing the political tea leaves, seeing the wave elections of 1930 and 1932, Sloan plays ball with the Democrats. I don't know that Sloan was any more liberal than Ford in reality, he may not have been, but he pragmatically aligns himself with Roosevelt. And while Ford Motor Company continues to be a major force in the American auto industry and the global auto industry, it is General Motors that is, and remains to this day, at least I think it does to this day, the bigger force in the American and global auto industry. Anyway, that's not really Florida related. It maybe kind of is because there are probably more GM cars by 1935 around Florida than there are Ford vehicles. But, uh, Robert, thank you once again. Uh, thank you for listening to the Florida History Podcast. I just want to get that uh, little correction because I, as, I'll say this. It's just quite frankly, as a kid growing up, I always heard about Ford and the Model T and Henry Ford and wondered. Why is GM so much bigger? Why don't they talk about whoever General Motors was or whoever the person behind General Motors was? Uh, uh, Dumont, we learn, I learn later in life Dumont and Sloan about them. Why don't they ever talk about the GM guys? Why are they always talking about Ford? Well, it turns out Ford was the pioneer. Ford was the guy who was so innovative that at some point, And at a point in the 1920s and 1930s, his conservatism got the best of him and General Motors innovated, Ford did not or Ford didn't innovate quickly enough. And GM became that company. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening again. I know that wasn't Florida related, but we'll be back with you next week with a more Florida centric uh, ending to the podcast. At least I hope that we have that. Thank you.